Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Marianne. I am so glad that you are here for week two of our summer sermon series entitled First Love. And as you heard already today, our friend Gavin is going to be sharing with us today. And I am so excited about what you're going to get to hear from him. But before he comes and shares, I want to share two things with you. The first one is a celebration of our churches being for our communities. And so two weeks ago, we invited everybody at all of our churches to give $4 so we could celebrate and bless the staff of the nursing homes in our communities. And so this is what you blessed them with, and this is what you gave them uh, from each of our campuses, Bluntstown, $2,513, Chipley, $2,178, and Mariana, $5,117.79 for a total of $9,808.79. Yeah, absolutely. Celebrate that. Yep. Now, here's, here's what that means in terms of people. In all three counties... That is 950 health workers that you as a church have blessed and touched and showed appreciation to because of your generosity. So thank you for being a church that is for our communities as they continue to care for people in our communities. So go ahead and celebrate that one more time. Thank you for being a church that's absolutely for. It's incredible. You guys are amazing. Absolutely. Now, as I said, if you were with us last week, we began our summer sermon series entitled First Love, and we learned as we began that series that the church at Ephesus, they had this incredible beginning because they were a church that was driven by love, to love. In fact, their love for each other was so great that they literally became a portrait of a desired destination for the people in their communities, and it turned their communities upside down, and we want to be that kind of church. We want to love one another that way. That's why we're doing this whole summer series entitled First Love. And so we want you not only to know that God loves you, that God is for you, not only do we want our communities to, to know that God loves them and God is for them, but we want you to focus on being for each other as well. So to kind of take this to the next level, not only are we doing this series entitled First Love, but starting in July... Our dream team, all the people who volunteer in all of our different ministries, they're going to begin wearing these four badges on the Sundays when they serve instead of their lanyards. One of them says for you, the other says for kids, depending on what environment you serve in. Because here's the thing, nothing matters more. And we're going to understand this more and more as we go through this study in Ephesians. Nothing matters more than whether we are for each other, whether we are living the love here and then it's overflowing into, in our communities because our strong faith in Jesus demonstrated by our love for each other is gonna make us a church that is the, a desired destination for those who are outside our church. And today, Gavin's gonna help us understand how to take that to another level. In fact, I'm so excited what you're gonna hear because I had put this series together and then I sent him kind of my draft for this talk and I said, hey, here's what I'm gonna do. This is a big idea. I want you to take it, make it better. He sent me a draft back and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. That's really good. Man, he said that better than I said that. He said, you know, and all of a sudden about an hour later, I get this email from him going, scrap that, that's trash. I got a better idea. Give me a week. And a week later, he came up with what you're going to hear today. And it's absolutely amazing. So can you all invite Gavin to our stage this morning? Everybody, all of our campuses, absolutely. I appreciate you not booing. That would have been weird. Um, 
Paul, when you were saying that I said it was trash and then I was going to make it better, uh, I don't know if anybody in your other campuses did this, but this sweet lady behind you said, that sounds like something he would do. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that was a compliment. I don't know. Um, I, I, am, I am excited to be here continuing the conversation. Paul, when Paul sent me this uh, idea, I really love that you're doing this series on Ephesians. And the second week, I mean, it, there's just such depth to the whole thing. You could do a whole series just on the second week, you know, I thought. So um, we're going to unpack something that's kind of deep, um, which you're a way above average audience. You'll, you'll be fine with this. But um, it affects everything in our life. And so I think, I think I'm going to do the best I can to make it as simple as I can for all of us. So uh, it really can revolutionalize our relationship with God, but with each other, with everything around us. So um, let, let me start by saying this. Have, um, I, you probably do this already. Um, you, you, we all tend to have like a phrase we use a lot, like it's like a go-to phrase or a catchphrase or something we always say that gets a laugh like half the time. So we just keep saying it because it gets funny. I remember in, in the 90s, there was like a beer commercial. Do you remember this? There was this beer commercial and everybody started saying, you know, what's up all the time. Remember that? I was like, that was really funny for like a week, you know, and, and it's really got old quick, you know, but whatever. It was fun, you know, uh, or some of you have things like maybe you say it is what it is, you know, which by the way, everybody knows that, but you say it all the time, you know, it is what it is. Okay. It's true. Uh, yeah, we all have these things, right? I have one of these too. I actually have two. One of, one of the ones that I've, I've never talked about this. One of the ones I say sometimes is that was my nickname in high school. I just think it's funny. Like when somebody says like, hey, bologna sandwich, that was my nickname in high school. You know, I just think it's funny. You can use that if you'd like. Um, see, half of you think it's funny. It's great. Uh, the other one that I love so much is this. Uh, it, it was good until it wasn't. I just love that phrase. I say it all the time. I think it's so funny. Like, for instance, some of you are uh, uh, like FSU football fans probably, right? And so, you know, which I'm really sorry, by the way. I mean, that's got to be miserable. But, um, I mean, I live in Georgia, so, you know, go dogs. But you can boo them all you want, but, you know. Records. Accounting's hard, I know, especially if you're an FSU fan. All right, so, you know, like, you're like, you're so excited about the season. You know, like, it's going to be football season soon, and everybody's getting excited. And you're like, you know, you go to the first game, like, man, how's it going? Like, man, our team was really good until that first game, you know? It was good until it wasn't. Or maybe you're like a student. You know, if you're a student, you can use this all the time. Like, how was the algebra test? It was really good, you know, until it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, you can use this today. Some of you are probably going to say this already. You're like, how was the sermon? It was good yeah, until it wasn't, you know? So, you know, how was church? It was good, you know, until it wasn't. And so the reason I bring this up is that I think it's the perfect statement that summarizes what happened in the church in Ephesus. Like, it was really good until it wasn't. I mean, these people were crushing it for a while. I mean, they, they were doing so well in the beginning. Paul introduced this to uh, us last uh, week. The thing that's so cool about the church in Ephesus is we have this entire letter that the apostle Paul wrote uh, to the church in uh, Ephesus, these Ephesian Christians. It's called the letter of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. It's incredible, but that isn't the only place that we hear about this church. We read about it a little bit in the book of Acts when the first century Christians were kind of just forming churches in this new belief system that was predicated on what God had done 
done with Jesus and through Jesus. And so we read about them then, and we read about them about 30 years later after their church started when John, who was one of the disciples with Jesus, uh, God gives him a vision, and he sees all sorts of incredible things. And one of the things he sees is what's happening in Ephesus 30 years after the great start. So around AD like 53 or so, Paul launches this church as he's doing his trips. And a few years later, he writes the letter. And then 30 years later, John sees what's happening. And so John tells us what has happened, what happened was in Ephesus. He tells us what has happened in Ephesus. Okay, here's kind of how it starts. John says, I know all the things that you do. He's very positive about him. I have seen your hard work talking to these Christians in these, the church in Ephesus and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. Then he continues. He says, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Remember this word. It's going to be really important. Without quitting. Like it has been hard in the beginning. I mean, you have all these people who are kind of trying to infiltrate the church. They're trying to change it and bring it back to what it was. You know, it's not Judaism 2.0. They want to bring it all back to that. So you had all these people that some of them were called Judaizers. You had these false prophets trying to come in and mess it all up. And they just withstood all of it. They started so strong. Things were going so well until it wasn't. And then John says this about him. He says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other, as you did at first. Another translation says, you have lost your first love. You don't, you don't love me like you used to. Uh, look at how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Basically, he says, you quit. You, you, you quit being who you were. You quit doing the good things that you were doing. And now you've just kind of given up. Can you please turn back? Can you please get back to the way things were? Get back to the way the church was in the beginning when you started so strong. What I think is so incredible about that is, is, is that we can kind of relate to that. Like every one of us, not that you started a church in a weird country and all that, right? But you, like, you can relate to we started strong and it was going really well until it wasn't. You know, you, you started strong at work and it was going really well and then you got the evaluation. You know, or you, maybe you were like me. You went to math class and then it wasn't going well from there. You know, like you started strong in a relationship and all of a sudden, things turned, you know? So like when we think about Ephesus, uh, it's important to probably ask the question, you know, what happened? But we know what happened. They lost their first love. They began to not do the things that they used to do. Like we know what happened. Here's the important question. This is what we're going to try to answer today. Why, why did it happen? Why did it happen? We know what happened, but why did it happen? This is such an important question to answer. And I'll tell you why. It's important for one reason, because it could happen to you. It could happen to me. It's also important because it could happen to us. It could happen to RCC. It could happen to the capital C church if we don't understand why it happened to them. So what happened? Yeah, sure, that's important, but why? Why did it happen? I think the best way to probably introduce this idea is probably to maybe tell you about my first love. Um, I was 15. 
Um, some of you have had this experience. I don't know if um, like love at first sight is like a real thing, but it, it was for me. I went to camp, this Camp Windshape at Barry College, kind of in the foothills of the Northwest Georgia mountains, and I loved this place. Um, they had boys camp there, and they also had girls camp. I started going when I was 10, so they had girls camp, but I mean, I was 10, I didn't really care. Well, when I was 15, I really cared that there was girls camp. It was very exciting to me that there was girls camp. And so we only got to see girls camp twice during the two-week camp session. Uh, the first time was like, a, like an Olympics event kind of thing. Well, I don't know. It was kind of boring. The second time was, and this is going to sound terrible, but it was awesome, was at a square dance. Now, I know what you're thinking. Gavin, you are a jam-up square dancer, Right. Not so much, but the girls were there, and that's all that we cared about. So the square dance was held on the tennis courts. They took the nets off the tennis courts, and so that's where we had the square dance, uh, which is kind of dangerous, by the way, because the poles were still there, you know? So you'd be dosy doing around, and then, you know, boom, you know, hit a pole. But the square dance was a big deal. When, when you, you have, I don't know if you've ever gone to camp, but you, you pack for camp, and you're like, put all your clothes that you can get ruined and dirty and you don't care about, and that's what I would do. My trunk was full of like just a bunch of clothes that didn't really matter, except for square dance clothes. Like we brought our good clothes for square dance clothes. Like we bought all of our cologne, our Axe body sprays, our like, because I mean, you know, we, we, it was legit. We were going to get some digits, some numbers. Like we were going to go to square dance and dance ourselves into a relationship, and so... That day of the square dance, we're all excited. Uh, we all took showers for the first time at camp, you know. Uh, it was real clean, but also smelled weird because you got a bunch of colognes and, and stuff mixing up. And, you know, you put one on and go, ooh, yours smells good. And you grab that one and, you know, which, by the way, you don't mix those things. They don't work. And so we all go walking to the square dance, to the tennis courts, and you could see us, you know, the waves coming off of us like a cartoon as we go. We walk into the tennis court, girls camp shows up, they walk in, and I see getting off the bus, walking into the tennis courts, I see this girl, long dark hair, white dress, and I was mesmerized. Like I could not take my eye off of her, like creepy weird, like somebody should arrest him maybe, like this is odd. Um, meanwhile, I can't, I, I'm like looking at her, and I turn around and I tell my friend, and then I look, and my idiot cousin is talking to her. And he's a loser, by the way. <laughs> and he's talking to her. And then they start square dancing. And I'm like, no, I'm marrying her. Like, you can't square dance with her. So I cut in. Eventually, we, I hit a pole. We do -si do a little bit. And then eventually, he cuts back in. I don't know. Like, I, I remembered her name uh, almost. Her name is Chantel. I didn't remember her whole name. I just remembered it sounded like Channel. So I was trying to remember it. But I'm like, I need to remember her name because we're going to get married. And so, like, I, I, the square dance ended, and I was just decimated. It ended, and I couldn't stop thinking about her. We're going back to the cabin, and everybody's, like, thinking about, like, how great it was. And I told my friend, I was like, I think I just met the girl that I'm supposed to marry. He said, maybe. Like, yeah, I mean, or, or maybe you hadn't seen girls in, like, 12 days. And so, like, any of them looked good. You know, and I was like, okay, it's true. Like, that could be true. But I think there's something different about this one. And so... We go home, my parents pick me up, we're going home, I'm telling my parents about Channel, this beautiful girl, and I don't know where she lives, and I, I, I don't know anything about her, but I've got to marry her, we got to find her, you know, and they're like, oh, that's so sweet, you know, puppy love. I'm like, no, it's not, it's real, it's real love. And so we get home, my parents that year, we decided to move that summer, we moved from one county to another county. And so I show up in high school, 10th grade, brand new high school, I, I know a couple of people there, but very few. 
And I walk into homeroom, and, and this is incredible. Guess who's sitting in homeroom? Channel. She's sitting in there. Her name's Chantel. I learned that. We walk in. I'm like, oh, you're the square dance girl. Like, and I don't think she liked me or wanted to, you know, because I'm weird and creepy. And I'm like, I remember you. And she's like, well, that's okay, you know. So I sat beside her. I didn't know anybody else. I sat beside her. And I start talking to her. And she's like, oh, I do remember you from the square dance. Like, I liked your cousin. I'm like, no, he's a loser. Like, I'm the one. So we're talking, and then the homeroom teacher says, okay, because so terrible homeroom teachers, we're going to divide you up and put you in alphabetical order. I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. I don't know anybody in here, and now my wife is here. And so, so Miss Yarbrough, the homeroom teacher, says, okay, she starts going through the thing, and she says, Chantel Adams. I was like, you got to be kidding me. We have the same last name? So I sat right behind her, Chantel Adams, Gavin Adams, sat right behind her. You know, in fact, if we lived in Alabama, we could have gotten married right then. Like, no, I'm just kidding. If you're an Alabama person, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, it's true, but I, I don't mean to be offensive. So anyway, we're, 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 we're pretty sure we're not uh, family. We don't know. We may be kin, but we don't think so. So our kids are super cool and normal, so maybe not. So I sit behind her in homeroom. Sure enough, I go to algebra class. Chantel's there. I'm like, I find the teacher before. I'm like, you know, it's really important to put people in alphabetical order in your class. So we sit, I sit behind her in algebra and some other class, I can't remember, and I, I just I thought she was so cool. Well, it took a semester, and she eventually agreed that I was average, and so um, we came back from Christmas break. My best friend, Jeff Dodge, said, let's go on a double date. I was like, I know who I'm going to ask, my wife of the future. Don't tell her that. That's weird, but I'm going to marry her. So I asked her out. She, I wrote her a letter. I don't know how you do this now. Like you probably text or in Snapchat them, but, or you're like a real person. You just ask them, you know, but I didn't. So I wrote him a note. It was like, Hey, Jeff and I are going on a double date care. He's taking care. I'd love for you to come with me. What do you think? And so like, you know, I waited. It was was terrible few hours waiting for her to answer. And so I go to my locker and open the locker and she had slid a note in my locker and it was super crumpled up and then flattened out. And I thought, I bet she said yes and crumpled up and threw it away. She's like, oh, she's like, oh what, what was it then? You know, okay, sure, free meal. So then she put it back out and put it in. And so we went to the Little Mermaid, our very first dance. And I, I just loved her. She told me it was a test, by the way. She said, if you'll go to see, she didn't say this, but she thought if he'll go see the Little Mermaid, he's probably worth one more dance, I mean, one more date, you know? So we went to Little Mermaid, it was awesome. I mean, I love that movie anyway because of her and I was sitting with my wife-to-be and we went on another date the next week. And then like the third week, I, I sat down and I told her, I was like, I, we had the DTR, the define the relationship combo. And I was like, I, I'd like to be your boyfriend. You know, if you would like to be my girlfriend, you know, and she said, yeah, I really would like that, you know? And so I was so excited. And I'll tell you what, I, I loved being a boyfriend. Like I loved being that boyfriend and I was killing it by the way. Like I loved it so much. I wanted to be the best boyfriend. I wanted all the other boyfriends to be jealous. And so like, I would learn things about her. I learned early on that she liked cows, which seems odd now, but back then, I don't know. She just liked cows. And so for Valentine's Day, we've been dating six weeks, five weeks. I bought her a little stuffed animal cow, you know. I learned that she loved these caramello candy bars. Have you ever had one of these? They are nuts, man. Like chocolate and caramel oozes out. I mean, it's incredible. I'd buy those for her once a week and surprise her. Uh, she liked these clearly Canadian waters. They called it water, but it was like 500 calories. It was just sugar and strawberry with, it was clear. So it's water. I'd get her those from the gas station, you know. I mean, I, I did everything I could to make her like love me. And I wanted to be a boyfriend. The thing I did the best, I'll tell you, some of you need to do this. I, 
I was kind of an art person. I was like an artist and like crafts. I would make her these roses out of toilet paper <laughs> and, um, and like a, a pipe cleaner. And if you had double ply, it made it even better, like more fluffy. And like, I would make up these toilet paper roses, you know, and I would find the blue toilet paper and the different color, because back then we had different color toilet papers. And I would give her these toilet paper roses and, I, and she was like, oh, this is really sweet. I'm like, I know, it is dual purpose. Like, it's a rose and, you know, like you smell it and you can you, you, and you'll smell again, but you know, like, it's like, it's incredible. And then, you know, like she liked them. So I started making toilet paper roses all the time. And then one time I showed up with a dozen toilet paper roses, you know? But here's what I began to realize. I thought, well, she really liked the one. Let me do two. Now she has a dozen. Like, what do you do now? Like a, a, a baker's dozen of toilet paper roses, I guess. I don't know, you know? And, and my parents are like, where's all the toilet paper? Yeah, well, you know, give them to Chantel. They're roses. And so it was interesting. Like, and, and we didn't have hashtags back then, but I was like hashtag crushing the boyfriend game. Like, I was so winning this game. All the other boyfriends compared to me were bad. In fact, all the other girlfriends would say that to their boyfriends. Most of the boys didn't like me. They couldn't make toilet paper roses. Like, I was the only one. Her friends, Chantel's friends, would say to her all the time, you have the best boyfriend. And I'm not gonna lie, I kind of enjoyed hearing that. Like, I liked that kind of adoration. I liked that emotion, but, but here's the thing that's so crazy, and I didn't see it at the time, but looking back, it's just so obvious. Like, like over time, over time, I kind of felt like I shifted from like boyfriending because I wanted to, and I kind of started boyfriending because I was like supposed to. Or it was almost like I, I went from kind of having an opportunity to be a boyfriend to, to having this obligation to keep making toilet paper roses. Because if I don't, probably won't be a boyfriend anymore, Right? It's so clear to me looking back, but, but, but this is what I was kind of doing. I, I kind of began doing boyfriend more than being a boyfriend. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a deep part. This, stay with me. When you are doing boyfriend stuff, or if you are being a boyfriend and allowing yourself to do some things out of the being, they look the same, don't they? Think about this. As a 15-year-old, I can make a toilet paper rose for her because I love her and I just want to love her. Or I can make a toilet paper rose for her because I want her to love me back and her friends to say that I have the best boyfriend and for her to stay my girlfriend. But the action looks the same. It looks the exact same. But on one side, you're doing because you can because you are something, boyfriend. On the other side, you're doing so that you can remain, you're doing so you can earn, you're doing because you're supposed to. This plays out in every area of our life. We see this all the time. And it kind of follows a typical pattern. It looks kind of like this. We go from being something to doing something to eventually then quitting something. And I'll tell you why, because doing is exhausting. Doing, trying to measure up is exhausting. Trying to keep up is exhausting. You made one toilet paper rose, that was cool, but now you gotta make two. Now you gotta make a dozen. Well, where do you go from there? There's not enough toilet paper, you know? Like, what do you do? And you do and you do and you do, and it is so tiring. And what do we end up doing? We end up quitting. I mean, think about this. Like, maybe in your relationships, I don't know if this is true for you, if you're married or dating, maybe you're experiencing this. Like, being in a relationship can be so rewarding. Doing a relationship is exhausting. 
and then we quit. I, I do not want to unpack all of your marriage problems, but, or previous marriage problems, but this is the case in so many divorces. You go from being married to doing marriage, which is exhausting, and you have irreconcilable exhaustion, and you quit. You go from being something to doing it because you're supposed to, right? Work, you go from being on staff or being an employee with some purpose behind it to doing a job. Doing a job is exhausting. Being something isn't. It can be restful, rewarding, replenishing. Or maybe like in your health, I mean, you, you know, being a healthy person feels great. Doing healthy things is exhausting. Like being skinnier feels good. Doing donut eating contest, way more fun. But trying to do the, the healthy thing without the right heart or motivation behind it is so exhausting. So we end up quitting. I mean, this is really a, a motivation conversation. It's kind of the heart behind it conversation. And this is true for almost every, every area of our life, right? When, when opportunities become obligations, quitting is like the inevitable outcome. When an opportunity turns into something that feels like you ought to, you should, an obligation, quitting is what we always do. Eventually, we get to the point where we're just too tired. And here's why I think this is so important for us today. It, it, it can happen in our faith too. I, I think this is exactly why Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus. I, I, think, that, I think that he wanted them to understand something when they were starting strong so they could continue being something and not start doing something. Because he knew that if they moved from being to doing, eventually they would end up quitting, which is, by the way, what they did. So in this letter, we really see some incredible insight from Paul about what he hoped they would understand so that they could continue living out this relationship with God from a place of being, not of becoming or doing. So let me show you a little bit about what he said in Ephesians. And we'll unpack it as we go a little bit. And then I want to show you what he told them to remember. Because I think if we can remember it and embrace it, oh man, it can change everything. Here's what Paul told them in Ephesians. He says, once you were dead, past tense, this is so cool, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And he says all of this, all of us, I mean, me included, he would say, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, or maybe we would say of our hearts, kind of our natural state. But our very nature, uh, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So quick snapshot, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that you used to be like everybody else. Like before you put your faith in Jesus, you were just like everybody else. You were on the outside of a relationship with God looking in. And maybe you were doing some good stuff because you were trying to earn God's approval, but you're not good enough. You can't earn it. So he continues. He, he says, but God, but God who is so rich in mercy 
And he loves us, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And then he even parentheses, he's like, this is a big deal. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He continues, for he, God, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now, Paul sometimes can be a little confusing, okay? So I don't want to try to summarize Paul like I'm, you know, that good at this. This is going to sound like a tweet, like I'm tweeting Paul. But this is basically what Paul is trying to say to all of those people and to us today. He's basically saying, we did the sinning, God did the saving. That's his point. You broke it, God restored it. You messed it up, God loved you anyway. He's so rich in mercy He's so full of grace that no matter what you have done, you can't earn the forgiveness, but you can accept it. You, you can receive it. That's it. That's all you're supposed to do. And, and so what this really means is that we can't earn this right relationship with God. And by the way, we don't deserve it. And there's nothing we can do to change that truth. Like we'll never be good enough. I mean, if you've messed up one time, you're, you've messed up one time. That's too many. We just took one time. I mean, how many of you don't raise your hand? How many of you went to spring break, right? It's over. You ruined it. You know, you had that one thing, that one moment. And by the way, we've had millions of these, but it just took one. And now God is looking at these people and he's saying, it's okay. Like I forgive you because I am rich in mercy. I am rich in grace. There isn't anything that you can do to earn God's love. That's an incredible insight that's so different than our world, right? If I could go back to being 15 for a second, this is exactly what I did not understand. This is why I began doing dating, right, instead of being a boyfriend. Think about this for a minute. In a healthy relationship, in a healthy relationship, we do because we can. 15-year-old. And a healthy 15-year-old, I know that's an oxymoron, but just think about it. A healthy 15-year-old in a dating relationship makes toilet paper roses for their girlfriend just because they can, not because they're trying to become something or keep something or earn something or deserve something. I uh, decided when we got married uh, to Chantel, by the way, she made it through the roses and all that, um, I decided that I was just gonna do the dishes every night, right? Like, like she was better at cooking and so she would do that. I, every night I did the dishes, you know? But for the first five, six years of our marriage, probably, I mean, somewhere around there, I did the dishes every night not because I could. I did it because I wanted something in return. I'm gonna do the dishes every night because I'm playing golf on Friday and you can't say anything about it because I've been doing the dishes all week, right? So we're even. In fact, I may be winning, you know, maybe ahead in this thing. And so don't say anything about it. And you better not be mad, right? Because I mean, I've been doing the dishes. You know, that's so unhealthy, isn't it? Your relationship with Jesus is a relationship. And, and here's what this means for us. When it comes to your relationship with God, we can do things, but not for God. We can do things because we can, not to earn anything, just out of the love we've already received. What happens, though, is these healthy relationships are so hard to maintain. That doesn't make sense. We do things to earn everywhere else in our life. So we end up having an unhealthy relationship. And in an unhealthy relationship, we do so that we can become or so that we can remain. 
Again, as a 15-year-old, I think I really did believe, I couldn't have said it at the time, but I think I really believed that if I do the boyfriend game well, I will continue to be a boyfriend. On some level, that's true. I mean, you can't be a jerk and keep having a girlfriend. But if you're trying to earn love back, I don't even know if they really love you. They just love the things you do. I mean, it took me a long time to figure that out. It took me a long time to figure out what a healthy relationship really could look like. And that infiltrated my relationship with God too. I bet it has for a lot of us. Where we begin to do things because we feel like we're obligated to, not because we get to. Like you, I mean, you serve at church because that's what God wants you to do. And if you don't, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're serving as an obligation. How would it feel to serve as an opportunity? Completely different. And here's what's so scary. It looks the same, doesn't it? You're serving. It looks the exact same. But the heart and the motivation is so different. And the outcome is so different. If we go back to Ephesus for a second, I think this is what Paul was so terrified could happen to them. I think Paul really just feared that their kind of receiving of God's love was gonna eventually shift into trying to earn God's love. I think he was afraid that over time, if they weren't really intentional and really careful, that just the way the world works, that over time, they would shift from just receiving the love of God to trying to earn the love of God. I think Paul feared that kind of this opportunity they had to do all these good works would eventually just become an obligation to earn God's love. I think Paul was afraid that they were gonna move from doing good things because they could to doing good things so the good God would love them. That's what he was afraid of. And listen, we should be afraid of that too because that's a trap we can fall into, the being to the doing to the quitting trap. So I want, you to, I want you to hear what Paul thinks is the antidote to this. Now, normally we would read these four chapters and break it down and, you know, all the things. I, I don't want to do that. I just want to read these four verses to you, and I just want you to think about them. I want you to think about what it would mean in your life if, if it were true for you. I want you to think about how it would change the relational dynamic that you and God have today if this were actually true for you. Paul seemed to think that this is true. God seems to think this is how it actually works. But it's not how the world works. But what if it is the defining work of our relationship with God? Here's what Paul said. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Think about that. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Isn't that just a 
beautiful truth that isn't like anything that we experience in the world. No wonder it's so hard to accept it. No wonder it's so hard to continue to live within it. Uh, There's two kind of points I think we should take from this. The first one is that God's love for you means that there is nothing left for you to do. God loves you so much that there is nothing that you have to do. There is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no obligation. It's all freely given. You just have to say yes. Daily, every day. Not to continue earning it, but just to continue reminding yourself that you don't have to. That you can be something. You don't have to do anything. You can just be something. And here's the other reality that Paul wants us to know, that he wanted those Christians in Ephesus to know, is that accepting God's love, accepting God's love for you changes you. If you truly accept, fully accept his love for you, not as an obligation, not as a to-do list, if you just accept his full love for you, it absolutely changes you. You know what changed my marriage? Was when I went to a counselor and said, I don't think this is working. She's the problem. I know everybody says that the other person's the problem, but in this case, she's really the problem. So I'm gonna tell you what's going on and I want, I'm gonna bring her next week and then I want you to fix her. And he said, I'm pretty sure that isn't how it works, but tell me what's going on. Told him all the things that were going on. Halfway through, he looked at me and he said, why does that bother you? And I said, are you kidding me? Because I'm like a human, that's why it bothers me. I was so angry and he said, no, no, no. Why are you expecting something? And I immediately thought, well, I'm doing all this stuff. Shouldn't she? I thought, oh, that's not love. That's reciprocation. I'm just loving her so she'll love me back. I'm doing this so she'll do this back. I'm doing the dishes so I can play golf. This is what we end up doing with God. We end up saying, well, God, I'll do this so you'll love me. I'll make sure I serve here so that you will, you know, I mean, gosh, churches build big churches with lots of money by saying, if you give God a dollar, he'll give you nine. It's complete crap. That's not how this works, right? Because if it were true, man, I'd have like, I would have flown in here in my own jet. So like, (laughs) that is not how it works. It's all about our heart. It's about our experience in life with God. It's what it's about. And it's about an opportunity to be something. Hey, as far as I can tell, This is what happened in Ephesus. As far as I can tell, they started so strong, but over time, they subtly kind of drifted from being loved to seeking love. They they, they shifted from being something to doing something. When we allow, though, God's love to fill our hearts, we don't have to strive for that anymore. We, we, We don't have to stumble our way through faith. Of course, if we don't do that, we fall into the same old trap. We fall into the same trap of doing. You know what we do in Christians? I see this with Christians all the time, right? We, we begin doing Christianity rather than being Christians. Being a Christian is very clear, right? You love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, strength, and you love everyone around you. That's it. Now, how often do we see Christians doing that well? Very rarely, Especially today, it feels like, right? I mean, good grief. Like, as Christians, we have in some ways decided to boycott both sides of the problems. 
You know, like a couple of days ago, I saw that we're boycotting Chick-fil-A now. I thought, if we're boycotting the Christian chicken, we, and you just got Chick-fil-A, and now you can't go there? Like, you've been praying for this for decades, <laughs> generations. The first time Paul asked me to speak here, I was like, what, well, do you have a Chick-fil-A? No, I was like, I probably can't come, you know? <laughs> you know? But, I mean, all joking aside, like, think about how damaging Christians can be when they do Christianity. What would happen if we just be Christians? We weren't doing anything other than loving people out of the overflow of God's love for us. We're not trying to earn anything. We're not trying to impress God. We're not doing Christianity. We're just being Christians, wholly loved, wholly loved by a loving Father. This is why we're gonna build the prayer that we've been working on. You know, last week, Paul introduced this prayer that we're gonna begin to build through the summer, and we're gonna pray for each other in this. And there's a card on your seat that actually has that prayer on it. If you wanna pick that white card up. And here's how it started last week. Paul introduced this last week that I'm praying for you, our church, but today, today we're gonna add this piece to it, to know God's love for you. Why? Because when you know God's love for you, it changes everything about you. When you know feel, when you know God's love for you, it changes everything about you. It allows you to be something, not try to become something. It allows you to do out of your being, not do out of this striving to become. It allows you to love others, not conditionally to get something in return, but just because God has first loved you. It allows you to forgive others, not because they've earned it or even deserve it, but because that's what God did first for you. Think about how different your life might be if you could just be a Christian, be a follower with nothing to prove, nothing to earn, nothing to try to deserve. I think that's why Paul talked about freedom so much. That's the most freeing thing I can imagine experiencing. So let me just give you a question. We're gonna end with this. This is the question I'd love for you to ponder and process. Maybe even just the rest of today, maybe the rest of the week, maybe the rest of your life, I don't know. Do, do, you, do you know God's love or do you just kind of know about it? Like, do you really know God's love or, or do you just kind of intellectually know about it? I suspect at some point we all fall into the trap where we aren't feeling it and we wonder why. And the problem is because we've started doing it, not being it. Do you know God's love? Do you feel it? If you don't, just, you know, FYI, it's not God's problem. It's actually our problem. It's because we've started doing Christianity, not just being Christians. So that's really our prayer for each other is that we'd begin to live that out in our day-to-day lives, not to earn anything, not as an obligation, as an opportunity to be something, a person who's been made alive in Christ. Can I pray for us all? Father God, um, this is like a really complicated thing, and I'm so grateful 
that the Apostle Paul kind of went from where he was to becoming a follower and a missionary and really saw all of this coming. Like in advance, he saw what could happen if we lose sight of who did the hard work, you. And if we lose sight of what our responsibility is, and it's just to say yes, it's not to do anything. That is so hard to live out. But God, I pray that that is something we will really work on in our own lives, that we will work on just being, that we'll work on just accepting, just receiving. And out of the overflow of that, Father, our lives can look so much different. So God, thank you for that opportunity. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, really quick before you leave, very quickly. Um, there's another sheet of paper on your uh, seat that we gave you, and uh, that's for a prayer wall that we're doing at all of our locations in the lobby. Uh, what we would love for you to do is just write one thing that you are praying for yourself, for your family, for you. You can put your name on it if you would like, or you don't have to. God knows who you are. We'd love for you to roll that piece of paper up and put it in that prayer wall, but here's the catch. We'd love for you to take one of those prayers as well. So someone else in our church can be praying for you this week, and at the same time, you can be praying for someone else. So on your way out, we'd love for you to consider doing that. Put one in there and take one out as well. And of course, we'd love for you to come back next week, bring a friend as Paul will be back, and we'll be looking at part three of this fantastic conversation on Ephesus. Hey, thanks so much. We'll see you guys next time. Have a great day.